You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe. The 96 Yankees were endearing to so many because that was a team built largely from within. And that was the only time since really the start of the 1970s that the Yankees were in a position that they could tear down and build from within. There have been other teams that have built from within. The Oakland A's did it in the 70s. They did it again in the late 1980s. The Yankees, they don't know how to develop from within because they They've never had to develop from within. And something needs to change because they've been doing it the same way now for 25 years. They're doing it the same way, but the game is not played or run the same way as it was a generation ago. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, it is Sunday Fun Day on 98.7 ESPN, presented by Grand Marnier. Grand Marnier takes cocktails from ordinary to unforgettable, adding a layer of sophistication to some of the world's most well-loved cocktails. Well, nearly a month to the day from right now, opening night at MetLife Stadium, the New York Jets and the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football, Monday, September the 11th, as this uh, highly anticipated season gets going. We took another step in that direction yesterday. The Jets have been impressive so far through two preseason games. And yes, the Jets, as we all know, are more than just Aaron Rodgers, although the first episode of Hard Knocks may not have indicated that. But It's the defense, it is the skill position players, and we haven't seen a ton of them outside of Zach Wilson, which has been a very promising development, as I said earlier. But it's really the defense. And when you look back at why the Jets are in the position they're in now and why Aaron Rodgers is here putting the Jets in that position, it really does start with the Jets' defense because that was the first group on this team early last season. This time last year, we were all gearing up to another 4-13 and campaign for the Jets. And I know the last month and a half was extremely disappointing when they finished by losing their last six games and going from 7-4 and to 7-10. and But it was the 7-4 and that announced to the rest of the NFL that this franchise was starting to turn a corner with this young core of players on both sides of the ball. But early on last year, it was the defense that led the way. The offense had moments. Mike White, Garrett Wilson had a lot of moments as the season went on. Brees Hall had moments early. But by and large, it was the Jets' defense. The seminal win of the season last year was against the Buffalo Bills. And that was a win on the backs of the team's defense. So when you look at the Jets this year, yes, the addition of Rodgers, the addition of the wide receivers, whether it's Lazard or Cobb or Hardman or whoever else has been brought in to play behind or alongside Garrett Wilson on the depth chart, those are all designed to take the Jets to the next level. But they have to maintain the level they were on last year during that 7-4 and four start, and that begins with the defense. And the defense was absolutely dominant yesterday. And it was dominant against a big name in Bryce Young, the first pick in the draft this year who has already been named the starting quarterback 
for the Carolina Panthers. It was his first NFL experience, and it was a rough NFL experience for Bryce Young. He was sacked. He threw six times, six passes netted a total of 21 yards, couldn't get anything downfield. He was pressured constantly by the Jets' defense, and the Carolina Panthers were shut out by the Jets' defense 27 to nothing. You look at the fact that Carolina had 10 first downs, and it's hard to take full-game stats and project what they mean for a team's development because the third and fourth quarters, especially in a first preseason game like it was for the Carolina Panthers, are it's mostly guys on the field that aren't going to be part of the NFL team this year. But you held Carolina to 199 yards. You held them to just 10 first downs, 113 yards through the air. You sacked them five times. So many, so many good signs for this Jets defense. And the Jets defense also looked really good in the first half against the Browns when it was the NFL players who were out there for the Jets. So as important to what Aaron Rodgers is bringing and Garrett Wilson as I think he will take a step to a top-flight wide receiver in his second season, and whoever's going to hold down the running back position, whether it's Brees Hall, whether it's a running back by committee until Brees Hall gets here, equally, if not more important to that, is the play of the defense. And for the Jets, especially yesterday, it started with the defensive line. Here's Robert Sala after yesterday on his team's depth on the D-line. Knock on wood, man. Don't don't jinx us. You know, I, I think it uh, one tip of the cap to to Joe Dean and staff and uh, and just communicating and how we and the type of player we bring into the room. Uh, two to Aaron and uh, White Cotton and uh, just the standard he keeps in that room and Albrick and you know those guys love the game of football. They play their absolute tails off and they feed off one another. Uh, they cheer for one another and and they take pride. You know, we we talk about it on defense all the time. We go as they go and so just really pumped for you know the group is awesome and you know whatever. Whatever people see, they see. But, you know, we just got a lot of faith in all the guys that are on our roster. And that is going to be such a... That was the backbone of the Jets' 7-4 and four start last year. Remember, they were 7-4 and four and talking playoffs in spite of their starting quarterback. Now they have Aaron Rodgers. Now, as for that starting quarterback from a year ago, Zach Wilson, and I don't know, is he persona non grata with Jets fans? Did he burn every last bridge last year? Because every time in the offseason, I mentioned or heard that one of the benefits of having, having Aaron Rodgers here this year, hopefully next year, is the fact that Zach Wilson can be in the room with him, learn how to be a professional. Zach Wilson is not a player without talent. If he was a player without talent, he wouldn't have been drafted in the first round. And like I said, last segment. Even if the Jets didn't pick him at number two, Zach would have been picked in the first round. His resume at BYU indicated that he was a first-round draft pick. Maybe not a number two pick. Did the Jets reach at number two? Perhaps. Could Zach Wilson have succeeded on a team with a stronger infrastructure than the one he came into? Perhaps. But what you're seeing now is you're seeing Wilson perform on a team with a much stronger infrastructure And he's actually performed well. He completed 70% of his passes yesterday. He didn't turn the ball over. He threw for 123 yards. He threw a touchdown pass. And through two games, Zach Wilson has looked pretty good. 
And when I had mentioned that, one of the benefits of having Aaron Rodgers here, look, Aaron Rodgers is going to leave at some point. And maybe Zach Wilson isn't the quarterback in waiting. If Rodgers lasts two years, which I think is the minimum that he'll last here, then at that point, Zach Wilson is in his fourth year, coming up on his rookie extension. So who even knows if Wilson's going to be the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers when he leaves? But it would be nice to at least give this guy a chance to perform at some point at his best. And we have not seen Zach Wilson's best through the first two years. A lot of those reasons were his own doing, and a lot of those reasons were the team that he was brought into. But the one thing he was not, he was not professional, especially last year. And for all of his poor play on the field, it was actually his unprofessionalism in that post-game press conference at New England. That was actually the thing that cost him his job, and he was never able to get the locker room back. You know how you get the locker room back? You play well. And he's played well so far in the opportunities that he's been given. So here's Wilson yesterday on his performance. Yeah, I felt like I was comfortable, but, you know, some good and then some, of course, some things I want to keep working on. Uh, it's hard to just say, like, an overall because, you know, us as quarterbacks, we kind of think about individual plays and you want to go back and watch the film and just kind of see how you can improve on each play at a time. But, you know, some good and then, of, of course, some things I can't wait to watch and, and try and fix and, and take into the next week. The numbers, as I mentioned, were good. 70% completion on his passes, didn't turn the ball over. How did Zach attack the Panthers' defense? This is one of those defenses that will kind of play soft in their shells behind and, and kind of make you take the easy ones underneath and, you know, just happen to have some of those on those plays where, where you know, halfbacks coming out of the backfield were kind of left free on some and tight ends kind of sitting up in the middle um, just trying to get the ball out of my hands quickly. That was kind of my goal today. How can I get the ball out efficiently and um, help the O-line out in that way? And the run after catch, you know, you can see when you get the ball in some of those guys' hands, they can really do something with it. And so that was the goal for me. The O-line continues to be a key for this Jets team. You're, you're starting to see, look, I'm not comparing Zach Wilson to Aaron Rodgers. I wouldn't compare anyone to Aaron Rodgers. But Zach is an athletic guy. Aaron Rodgers obviously has been one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the NFL his entire career. There are some similarities just in terms of their physique and their athleticism. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that some things that Aaron Rodgers does – Zach Wilson can try to emulate. Now, can he do them as well? No. And I'm not saying that. No one has been able to do them as well as Aaron Rodgers, perhaps in the history of the NFL. But he seems to be in a good place right now. And like Robert Salas, Zach Wilson was very complimentary of the Jets' defensive line. Those guys are psychos. I mean, the, way, the way they train them and like, teach them to like, yeah, they're psychos up there. And uh, they, do a, they do a really good job. I mean, that's a, that's a position that... Um, they are training to to be you know violent and um, you can definitely see it on the field and you know I agree with Coach Sala the hardest thing for a quarterback to play efficiently is when when you're getting pressure especially pressure when they're not even bringing extra guys when you have four guys up front that can get pressure on the quarterback it's going to be a long day so I think those guys are doing an awesome job and um, big for our team to have that and lastly and we mentioned this earlier so much importance placed on the offensive line and that is still one of the areas on the team. I mean, when you talk about the strengths of the Jets, it's quarterback, it's defensive line, it's defensive secondary, it's Garrett Wilson and whoever is alongside him in the passing game. You're not putting offensive line on that list. Offensive line is one of the question marks. And the biggest X factor 
among that group on the offensive line continues to be Makai Becton. Now, a good sign yesterday, another good sign for this team. Makai Becton played 27 snaps, and here's Salah on his big tackle after the game. Proud of him. He, he fought through, obviously got in a lot of reps, actually played a heck of a lot more than we were planning. He wanted to go more, which is promising. So I am proud of him. He took a really, really big step today. I really don't care what the film looks like. We'll see it. We'll correct it, all that stuff. But for him just to build that confidence with the knee, like I've said, that's important, and I, it feels like he took that right step today. If you can get anything out of Makai Becton, look, Makai Becton, again, not a guy without ability. We saw that the one year he played, his rookie year, he was the bright spot on a bad team. Not without ability. So you got the Buccaneers as the Jets will play at MetLife Stadium for the first time this preseason next Saturday night at 7.30. And then, of course, the annual preseason game against the Giants on the 26th of August That will be a Giants home game for what it's worth. It'll also be a preamble to the game that those two teams will play against each other during the regular season on October 29th, which will also be a Giants home game. So a lot to like about the Jets. I mean, there's really, there's not a lot out there that we don't know between the Jets being the talk of the town, between the Jets being the talk of the NFL, now the Jets being the subject of hard knocks, We've seen two preseason games for the Jets. No real serious concerns outside of the offensive line. That's still probably the biggest question mark for me. So we continue on and we continue to watch this team uh, formulate before the opening game on September 11th, 8-15, nationally televised at home against the Buffalo Bills. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. So we got our first look at the Giants on Friday night. And the first half, it looked pretty good. 13-3 at halftime was the lead over the Lions. Lions ended up winning that game 21-16. Tyrod Taylor Limited action, three for four for seven yards and a couple of carries for seven yards as well. Obviously no Saquon Barkley, obviously no Daniel Jones, uh, no Darren Waller. None of the big name skill position players were out there on offense. Cole Beasley, he's obviously a name and he saw a lot of action and made four catches. So he could be an interesting name. There's a lot of Depth, I guess, is the word I'm looking for in that receivers room between you know the guys who came on last year, the guys who were injured and are coming back this year. You know, when you when you talk about, you know, who first of all, who is the Giants number one wide receiver wide receiver? Their number one receiving target, I think, is expected to be Darren Waller. Who's their number one wide receiver? Is it Isaiah Hodgins? Did he elevate to that level last year? Is it Darius Slayton? He had the best season among the Giants receivers last year. Then you have Wandell Robinson, second-round pick from last year who was good until his season ended early. You have Jalen Hyatt, their draft pick this year, who's a similar type player, smaller, speedy to Wandell Robinson. You still have Sterling Shepard in that room. You still have David Sills, who got some reps last year in that room. And they also have two more small possession type guys in Cole Beasley and Jamison Crowder both of whom saw a lot of action on Friday night as big targets for Tommy DeVito who got the bulk of the action 
at the quarterback position. So who's going to be Daniel Jones's targets beyond Darren Waller? You know, Hodgins will be there, and Slayton will be there. But beyond that, it'll be interesting to see how the Giants fill out their depth chart. Now, the one thing I'll say, and this time of year you see all of these lists, top 10 at this position, top 10 at that position. I'm not willing to put Daniel Jones in a list of top 10 quarterbacks yet. But I think, number one, based on what he did last year, Daniel Jones is a lot closer to that than he is usually given credit for. And number two, I think Daniel Jones will be a top 10 quarterback by the end of the year. And now you have to understand what I'm saying because people will jump on me. He's not one of the best quarterbacks. I'm saying he will be a top 10 quarterback. I'm not saying he's going to be top five. I'm not saying he's going to be top three. He's not. If he is, that will be a miracle. He's not. But I think by the end of the year, Daniel Jones will be and should be considered the ninth best quarterback, the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. Daniel Jones got better last year as the season went on, and he got better as the talent around him got worse. A hallmark of a good quarterback is making those around him better. Darius Slayton was a guy who was hanging on to his NFL career at the beginning of last season. Out of necessity, Slayton was a guy who was told at the beginning of last year, you have to take a pay cut. Your options are you take a pay cut or we're releasing you. He had no choice. Slayton was a nice story his rookie year, developed a nice rapport with Jones his rookie year, and then every year since, his production started to wane. They brought in Kenny Galladay to be the number one receiver, so that knocked Slayton down the depth chart. Last year, out of necessity, he had to step into a more prominent role, and he had the best season of his career. Last year, out of necessity, the Giants picked up Isaiah Hodgins from the practice squad of the Buffalo Bills, and by the end of the year, he was their number one wide receiver. Daniel Jones deserves credit for the development and the seasons that those two guys had. That is the mark of a good quarterback, making those around you better. Barkley, as I have said this entire time, deserves the most credit because Saquon Barkley was so good last year. And this was the difficult thing about talking about Barkley's impact on the team before he had come to the contract agreement with the Giants because we all knew, or at least we should have all known, I knew his importance to the Giants offense. Barkley was so great last year, the numbers don't do his season justice. He took so much attention from opposing teams and he sucked in so much oxygen that those around him were largely forgotten and told, okay, you have to beat us because we're not letting Barkley. Barkley could have rushed for 2,000 yards last year, but the teams focused almost entirely on him almost every single game. So he's the number one reason why Jones had the season he had, Hodgins, Darius Slayton, but Jones deserves credit too because Jones was still the guy who had to get the ball to those receivers who had career years. And... As the talent around Daniel Jones. I mean, think about everything that Jones has been through. He comes into the league. The team's in transition. They're poorly coached. 
Pat Shermer, and then Joe Judge. And it's an aging and ineffective offensive line, and they kept trying to plug in high draft picks that didn't pan out. And then they finally, what did we say Jones's first two or three years? Get him some weapons. Well, the Giants thought they got him a weapon. They paid $72 million for a quote-unquote number one wide receiver. And he was one of the worst free agent signings in the history of New York sports in Kenny Galladay. They tried. The experiment failed miserably. He battled injuries and inconsistent play. And then finally last year, he gets a good coach. He gets a healthy top flight running back. And he has the benefit of now four years in the NFL. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think by the end of this year, Jones is going to be better this year than he was last year because I think Jones is better than people think. I think Darren Waller, if he stays healthy, is going to make such a huge difference. I think Saquon Barkley and having him there from week number one. Remember, it wasn't that long ago we were thinking, well, he's not going to play week one. Maybe he'll do the sit-in by the end of September, by week four. Maybe he'll join the team. He'll get all of his money, but he's going to miss a couple of games. No, no, no. Barkley, whether you feel sorry for Barkley or not, the fact is he signed his contract. He was in training camp the first day, and he is now a full participant. He'll be all systems go for September 10th against Dallas. That plus Waller plus another year with these receivers. The offensive line now continues to get better and is bordering on being a strength of this team. And Daniel Jones is good. Can Daniel Jones be the second best quarterback in the NFC? Yes. The only guy who I think will be ahead of Jones by the end of the year in the NFC is Jalen Hurts. I thought Jones was better than Dak Prescott last year. I continue to think he is. People are jumping when you hear about names that could get into the top 10. I'm hearing Justin Fields. I'm hearing Geno Smith. I understand Geno Smith had a really, really good year last year. But it took him 12 years to have that year. It took him 12 years. Statistically, was it a better season than Daniel Jones? If you look at the passing statistics, yes. He threw, for twice as many, he threw for twice as many touchdown passes as Daniel Jones did. But we've seen Geno Smith for 12 years in this league. He finally had that season last year. We've seen Daniel Jones for four. By the way, his first season statistically was good. His next two seasons were bad. Last year was good, and it got better as the year went on. It got better the more talent he lost around him, and it got better the bigger the games were. Minnesota on Christmas Eve, Minnesota in the wild card round. That's when Daniel Jones was at his best. So I kind of laugh when I see Geno Smith and Justin Fields to name two as guys that have the potential to jump into the top 10. I'll take Daniel Jones over either one of those guys right now. I'll take him over Dak Prescott. The 49ers outside of the quarterback, probably have the best team in the NFC. And if Brock Purdy didn't get hurt last year, I think they would have beaten the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. But he did, and they didn't, and the Eagles went to the Super Bowl and almost won. The 49ers have everything but somebody at the quarterback position. But they might be the best team in the NFC. Aaron Rodgers is gone. 
Drew Brees is long gone. Who is the quarterback in the NFC that's better than Daniel Jones outside of Jalen Hurts? You want to give me Dak? I'm not going to give you severe pushback. That's a personal preference. I think Dak has always been a little overrated, and I think Dak has gotten a little bit worse every single year. I think Daniel Jones has always been a little underrated, and I think Daniel Jones has gotten better every single year. But I'm sorry, I need to see it for more than one year from Geno Smith. And I need to see something from Justin Fields. I understand he's a, he's a terrific runner. That's great. So is Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson can also throw the ball and is an MVP. Justin Fields has only proven that he can run the ball and lose a lot of football games. So it's funny when people are trying to jump Fields and Smith ahead of Jones. When Jones is sitting right there. Winning football games, making winning plays with his arm, with his legs. Now, as far as Jones in the preseason, will we see him this preseason? Here's Brian Dable. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in, in you know the end of the week. So Again, these, these decisions really are made towards the end of the week. Like I, I've told you guys, there's a lot of research and communication that goes into it, but um, I'd anticipate him playing. Yeah, there you go. He anticipates Daniel Jones playing in preseason. I can't imagine he's going to have a huge role in preseason. But when I hear that the Giants are a team that can improve, yet take a step backwards in the standings this year, you know what? If the Giants were in the AFC, I would agree with that. Because there's only seven spots to get into the playoffs. And, you know, in the AFC... Between, I mean, the Jets division alone, the Jets, the Bills, the Dolphins, the Bengals, the Ravens, the Steelers, somebody from the AFC South has to make it by default, the Chiefs, um, who am I forgetting out west, the Chargers, that's like nine teams I just named. If the Giants had that gauntlet to compete with, I could agree with that. But I think people are overlooking one fact, How? what's one way the Giants get better? Daniel Jones continues to get better. I think it happens this year. I think this is the best group of weapons that he has had around him. We've heard that before, and it hasn't always worked out. Whether it was Kenny Galladay or Golden Tate or Saquon Barkley when he ended up getting injured, that was supposed to be his best group of weapons, and it didn't pan out that way. This is his best group of weapons. And the biggest reason why is that Daniel Jones himself is now a weapon. He's a weapon with his legs. He's a weapon with his arm. And that is something that hasn't been part of the equation so far in his career. And I think that is the path for the Giants to get better. I think the Giants get better because Daniel Jones gets better. And I know it might be a little cliche to say, The quarterback is the key to the team. But that is the room for improvement for this Giants team. Basketball Hall of Fame weekend. Dirk Nowitzki, Dwayne Wade, some big names. Greg Popovich being inducted in Springfield, Mass. this weekend. I'll have some thoughts on that and how the Eastern Conference looks after the latest news out of Philadelphia that it looks like the 76ers are going to stand pat. It's Pat O'Keefe until noon on 98.7 ESPN New York.
You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. What is this? What is this song? Never heard this before? I've heard it. No, I, I, it's been a long time. What is this from? This is this is just the best of Curtis Blow right now. <laughs> I think I've oh, heard this in like That's Mike right. Before. Okay, there's yeah. the preamble. Thank you. Okay. I mean, it's, it's so great. It's so great. I mean, it screams 1990s. So, Springfield, Massachusetts this weekend, the Basketball Hall of Fame induction. I, I do this all the time, and I every time I do it, I preface it by saying I hate raining on people's parades when they're going into the Hall of Fame, and then I proceed to rain on their parade. I did it in the Baseball Hall of Fame this year. Uh, who got in this year? Scott Rowland. Uh, there was somebody else who... That would be Fred McGriff. There it is. Thank you. There was somebody else who didn't belong. Terrific players, but like, you know, going back to Harold Baines. Uh, anyway, um, and I'm not going to say that these guys don't belong in the Basketball Hall of Fame because they probably do. First things first, the standards for getting into Hall of Fames have been lowered across the board. Football, nine guys went in this year. That's too many. Baseball, I just made my case that Scott Rowland is in the Hall of Fame. That's too many. Basketball, too. Basketball, they take into account everything. So it's not just the NBA. It's college. So what you do in college for four years can be, as far as the committee for the Basketball Hall of Fame, as impactful as what you do over the course of a 15-year NBA career. That's just how they do it. International play, European play, women's basketball. So it's your contributions to the game in one shape or form or another. Okay. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki, Tony Parker, Pal Gasol, and Dwayne Wade are the four headliners, along with Greg Popovich, who went into the Basketball Hall of Fame this weekend. So let's just leave it to the four players. Dirk, Tony Parker, Pal Gasol, and Dwayne Wade. Tom Bauer, doing an excellent job producing the show this morning with Harvey Cruz. Tom, of those four players, who had the best NBA career? So it's Dirk, Tony Parker. Parker. Pow and D. Wade. Pow and D. Wade. Off the top of my head. Top of your head. I'm going to say Dirk Nowitzki. Okay. I, I don't think it's really a question. Dirk retired. I think he still might be sixth all time. He retired as the sixth leading scorer in NBA history. Revolutionized the game as a seven-footer who was a deadly shooter. NBA champion. NBA Finals MVP. And most importantly, the best player on a championship team. Now, you may be saying, well, you just said that. NBA Finals MVP is the best player on a championship team. It is not. And that brings me to one Dwayne Wade, an unquestioned, unquestioned Hall of Famer. I don't think there has ever been an athlete, though, on the level of Dwayne Wade, which means certain Hall of Famer. I don't think, and I swear, I don't think there's ever been an athlete on his level as overrated as Wade. And the biggest problem I have with the overrating of Dwayne Wade, the guy who has overrated Dwayne Wade the most has been Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade is, I mean, I hate to say it, he's a con man. He has made people believe for 20 years that he's on the level of player as Kobe Bryant and on the level of player as LeBron James. He has walked around like he's on that level for 20 years. Unquestioned Hall of Famer, nowhere near the level of Kobe Bryant, nowhere near the level of LeBron James. And in an interview this week, 
during the Hall of Fame weekend, he gave this quote that is so typical Dwayne Wade, I couldn't stop laughing when I read it. Here was the quote. I've been Batman. I've been Robin. I've been one of the three Stooges. I think the last part was kind of a throwaway line to get a laugh. Dwayne Wade has long taken the approach that he has been Batman and he has been Robin. He has said, I've been the best player in the league and I've come off the bench. When was Dwayne Wade? I've been following the NBA my entire life. Somebody please let me know, when was Dwayne Wade the best player in the NBA? And for him to actually say that, Dwayne Wade played during an era when Shaquille O'Neal was playing, when Tim Duncan was playing, when Dirk Nowitzki was playing, when Kobe Bryant was playing, when LeBron James was playing. He played with a lot of those guys too. When was Dwayne Wade the best player in the NBA? Let me do a quick run-through of Dwayne Wade's career because he has always tried to project himself in the class of Kobe and LeBron. All right. Quick history lesson on Dwayne Wade's career. Rookie in 2004, number five pick overall out of Marquette. One of the greatest draft classes of all time. LeBron, then the mistake that was Darko Milicic, then Carmelo, then Chris Bosh, then Dwayne Wade. Find me a better top five than that, even with Darko. His rookie year, the Heat go 42-40. and 40. His second year, they go 59-23. and 23. Why the 17-win improvement, you asked? Well, they traded for a guy named Shaquille O'Neal, who averaged 23-10 and 10 and should have been the MVP of the league, except Steve Nash beat him in a narrow vote. 2006... The Heat won the NBA championship. On that team, despite being the NBA Finals MVP, Dwayne Wade was Robin. He was not Batman. Batman on the 2006 Miami Heat was Shaquille O'Neal. Robin was Dwayne Wade. And you could say, well, Dwayne Wade was the MVP of the Finals. Yeah, you know what? So was Tony Parker in 2007. Who was the best player on that Spurs team? Tim Duncan. Andre Iguodala was the NBA Finals MVP in 2015. Who was the best player on that team? Stephen Curry. Who was the second best player on that team? Klay Thompson. Chauncey Billups, 2004 NBA Finals MVP. It's not always 100% that the best player on the team is the NBA Finals MVP. All right? 2007, the next year after they win the title, guess what Dwayne Wade was? He was Batman. Shaq had passed his prime. He was Batman on a team that went 44-38, and was swept in the first round of the playoffs. 2008, Dwayne Wade was Batman. Guess what his team's record was? 15-67. and Worse than David Fisdale or Derek Fisher could ever dream of putting forth. 15-67. and He was Batman on the worst team in the NBA. 2009, he was Batman. They were 43-39. and They lost in the first round of the playoffs. He led the NBA in scoring. 2010, he was Batman. 47-35. and Lost in the first round of the playoffs. He has never gotten out of the first round of the playoffs when he has been the best player on the team. 2010-2011, they made it to the finals. What happened that year? Who joined the Miami Heat that year? That's when Batman came to town. Except his name was LeBron James. And LeBron was there for the next four years. And they went to the finals all four years. And they won two NBA championships. This guy, his entire career, has tried to act like he has been the best player on championship teams. Never once was Dwayne Wade the best player on a championship team. He was the second best player on three of them. And you know what? That is better than most people who have ever played this sport. 
He is a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, deserving of the honor he has received this weekend in Springfield, Mass. But he is not one of the all-time titans of the game. He played with those guys. He played with Shaquille O'Neal. He played with LeBron James, and he played in two finals against Dirk Nowitzki. Those are the all-time titans of the game. Dwayne Wade is not among them, although he has spent the last 20 years making you believe that he is. Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. (laughs) I knew that was coming. Sometimes I've been Batman. Sometimes I've been Robin. I've even been one of the three Stooges. When has Dwayne Wade ever been been Batman? Unbelievable. Um, Real quick, because I mentioned this earlier, the uh, report yesterday that James Harden is no longer on the trade block. Not a huge surprise, and that also means he's not on the trade block right now. It sounds like Harden's going to be with the 76ers in training camp. And to be honest, why not? The Sixers were close last year. I mean, one of these years, Joel Embiid has to stay healthy in the playoffs, right? I mean, maybe not. But they were close last year. They had Boston on the ropes, up 3-2 to two with a chance to close out that series in Philadelphia and a lead in the fourth quarter, and then Jason Tatum got red hot. Otherwise, the Sixers could have advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals to face the Heat, and who knows what happens from there. But the East did not get significantly better. Milwaukee is essentially running it back and hoping for better health from Giannis, from Chris Middleton, and the rest of their core. The Celtics have a lot of question marks. You know, they have completely transformed their team. They've brought in Kristaps Porzingis, who has never been closely associated with winning in his NBA career. So the Sixers were right there. I think it's the wise move because this also says that Daryl Morey was not going to get full value for Harden with the offers that were out there. And why not run it back and see what happens? All right, a couple people want to chime in on Dwayne Wade. Let me give you an opportunity. Let's go to June in Tampa. June, what's going on? Yes, man. Um, I just want to talk about D-Wade, one of my favorite players of all time. Um, I'm not sure what he did to you, but um, you, you're saying some stuff that's not accurate. I've never heard D-Wade say he was the best player in the league or anything to that aspect. In fact, when LeBron came, he told LeBron, you, you are the guy. I'm going to take a back seat to you. And secondly, on that 2006 uh, NBA final championship, he averaged 35 points and eight assists. He was the Batman. Shaq was riding his coattail toward the end of his career. So he is correct. He was riding with LeBron. He was Batman with Shaq and everybody else that he had on Miami during those years prior to LeBron. So um, give that man the respect that he deserves. He's probably the third best two guards ever uh, behind MJ and Kobe. So, um, yeah, you need to do some fact check on that, my brother. June, I appreciate your passion. He's a popular player. Thanks for the call. I I appreciate you sticking up for your guy. Um, Shaq was the reason they won that championship. He allowed Dwayne Wade to do what he did. The reasons they won that championship, the number – the top reasons were Shaq being on that team and taking so much attention for the defense, and that was probably the worst officiated NBA Finals in the history of the league. Uh, go look at the free throw numbers for Dwayne Wade. If the Mavericks breathed on him, they put him at the foul line. Let's go to Jimmy on Staten Island. Jimmy, what's up? Pat, Pat, what's going 
don't know what you today, man. You, 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 you're all one today. It's, you're completely wrong. Completely wrong. The, Shaq was the Shaq was the Robin. You get what I'm saying? And Shaq would tell you himself he took the back roll. He way way like the last quarter set averaged thirty. You in the finals. Say that, Pat. It, it, yes, he averaged thirty in the finals. 30. Yes, but he had Alonzo Mourning, which was done. He had Jason Williams, yeah, which was done. You had Gary Payton. He literally, he was the definition of putting the team on his back. Like, I don't know what the man did to you, but you completely wrong. I think every caller is going to call you right now and tell you you're wrong. I put, I will buy you a coffee if a caller doesn't tell you how wrong you are. <laughs> how about a beer, Jimmy? <laughs> Jimmy, I appreciate your passion. Oh, I, didn't want, I didn't want to say that, but you know. <laughs> Those are always accepted too, Jimmy. Have a good day. Thanks for the call. Listen, listen. All right. He's just not as good as he has projected himself to be. That's all I'm saying. The previous call, because I wanted to jump off, but June, who called before Jimmy, said that Dwayne Wade willingly let LeBron James be the man. No. In fact, that cost them a championship. Okay. LeBron James makes the decision in 2010. Dwayne Wade held on to that being his team for an entire season. It wasn't until the next year when Wade got injured and only played 49 of 66 games. And when he was out of the lineup, then LeBron James felt free to take over that team. In 2010-2011, LeBron absolutely should have been the man on that team from day one. But Dwayne Wade walked around like he was the guy, and LeBron didn't want to make too many ways because he was mixed up coming into that team. And it was kind of, okay, your turn, my turn. And they never figured it out, and they lost in the finals that year to the Dallas Mavericks. Go look at that rally when they go, not one, not two, not three. You know the video, right? Go look at that rally. Every single picture that was taken of the three, Wade, LeBron, and Bosh, when they were introduced together, who's in the middle every single picture? Wade, because Wade had to make it known to everyone that that was his team. It shouldn't have been his team. It should have been LeBron's team. It became LeBron's team the next year. Wade no longer stood in his way, and they won back-to-back championships. So even he didn't do that well. It's been a great morning. Larry Hardesty's up next. Tom and Harvey, good job. Have a great weekend, everyone. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.